I think it's amazing that we've continued to stay together as a church, even through a time when we couldn't meet like this. Remember those times when we were in our homes? When you had your pajamas on and you just put on a t-shirt? No, I'm sure you didn't do that. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but those were even good times, you know. I remember Steve saying, no, 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 we must all make like, like videos. And then Chantal and I taking like 20 takes. Like in the garden, oh no, this is a good background here for the... And oh man, that was so stressful, people. But it's so good to be together again. And here we are, Steve. Um, and as I reflect on that time, there's a, there was a God moment through that time of, of pandemic where we were meeting and we couldn't be face-to-face. Um, Steve shared an analogy of cattle ranching in Australia. I think it's cattle ranching hmm? in Australia and, and who of you remember that analogy there we go it was a very significant moment in in the life of our church I think and and he said that in the Australian outback it's just it's it's quite arid and so the the sustenance for the animals is like quite sparse right and so and so these ranches are not small they are vast and large tracts of um, square miles of, of, of ranches and so and so it becomes very impractical for farmers to put up fences. Can you imagine? Maintenance of fences for kilometers and miles long. And so an innovative solution um, arose in this context and it was the building of wells. So instead of having fences, farmers dug wells. And what they found was that this attracted the animals and kept them centered as opposed to kind of keeping out and keeping in. And so I'm going to leave that thought with you because as we look into the word this morning, there's a lot of analogy for us as a church from that. And I say that it was a God moment because I think it even is very important as we consider this month, who is Wellspring? Who are we as a church? It's quite a daunting thing, this uh, starting a new church. Um, um, It's quite daunting, but at the same time, very exciting. Are you excited? I think, you know, just the possibility of what God is able to do in our midst and through us, I think is very exciting. We've come through a very difficult time, and, and out of this time of difficulty, God has birthed this church. I just want to keep track of my time. So... I'm going to try and promise to be 15 minutes. How's that? So, so there was a report that I, that I came across recently that said millennials are leaving the church in droves. And recently, actually, to back that, that article up, I spoke to two... I spoke to two ministers from mainline churches who, who kind of shared experiential knowledge of that and said, like, listen, you go to this church, you go to this like really smart church with steeples and, you know, that traditional setting, and it's empty. There's, there's a handful of, of elderly folk in these churches. Um, just this week I had coffee with someone from the City Bowl and they said the same thing. Another church, you know, very established mainline church, but, but they're thinking of merging with this church because there just aren't enough people in this church. I think there's like 15 elderly folk in this church. 
And so the question comes to me, and I'd like to ask you, how do people walk away from a faith that is supposed to be so life-giving and so life-transforming? Why do we see in certain contexts that it seems to be dying? What is this life-giving kind of word of God, this word that we appreciate so much and that we base our lives on, how do people walk away? But I think there's something problematic about that question because the research shows that while young people are walking away from the church, they are not walking away from faith or spirituality. Interesting, don't you think? Okay. Wells and fences. So... In Matthew chapter 16, verse 2 and 3, and I think, you know, especially in these times of COVID, as we look around and things are upside down and what is normal and people want to get back to normal, or do we? Do we still want to get back to normal? I don't know. Things have changed so much. And then what does that mean for us as a church? Jesus says to the Pharisees in Matthew 16, verse 2 and 3, He says, You know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. And Jesus says, you know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. And I want to say to us, Wellspring, are we interpreting the signs of the times? What is God calling us to in this time? There's so many things that we understand, but do we understand how to read the signs of the times and how to bring it into conversation with this timeless Word of God? Thankfully, the, the dwindling churches and young people walking away from church is not the old picture. There's, there's a positive side to all of this. And, and when I read um, research according to the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological um, college, it says that in 2019 there was an article published on the status of global Christianity, and I need to read this. It says the picture is much more encouraging. Listen to this. Christianity is growing faster than the population, than the global population. That's quite encouraging. Currently there are about 2.5 billion Christians in the world, and increasing at a rate of about 1.25% per annum. Pentecostals and evangelicals are growing the fastest and picking up speed. Atheism has peaked and is no longer growing as rapidly as it was at the turn of the century. Christianity is growing in cities but slower than the rate of urbanization, so there's work to be done. The center of Christianity has moved from the north to the global south. So remember the time when Europe used to be the bastion of theological study? Sure, we do, because we still read those papers, right? Now you see the church exploding in places like Latin America, Asia, and Africa, where it's probably growing the fastest. Then there are more evangelism opportunities than ever before, because aren't we the church? Don't we have good news to share? Don't we have... Social media platforms, I hope we're not just watching TikToks or whatever. But I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, like we have so much like opportunity. Evangelism. The percentage of the unevangelized is shrinking steadily. And that's good news. So, 
I am very much encouraged that while we do see people walking away from institutional structures, we see that the church of God is growing. Because the word of God says that um, in Matthew 16, verse 15 to 18, Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. This is what Jesus Christ says of his church. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell, the powers of hell will not conquer the church. And as I look out over us as a church, the gates of hell will not prevail. Can I hear an amen? There wasn't even an amen <laughs> for the word. But, but what is this church that Jesus refers to as my church? And there's, when, we, when we think about Jesus Christ coming to earth, I get very excited when I think about the person of Jesus Christ historically actually being born in Bethlehem. Do you know why? Because... What greater event in all of history would see the creator, the God of all, of everything, our creator, coming and walking alongside us on earth? And so the context that Jesus was born into, let us not forget that the Bible was written to us in 2022 in South Africa, elsewhere. You know, the Bible was written for us, but not to us. So the, the, the Bible was written in a context where uh, the, the Roman, um, you, you know, the, the Roman Empire was, was at the head of this, um, this context. And, and the Jewish people were living under severe oppression. And you've heard me speak about this before. But I think it's so important that we don't just pick up our Bibles and just, and just read it without appreciating the context of the original context. Because I think that it's going to give us so much so much depth in order to look around our context and to say, wait a minute, just look at what Jesus did in his context, what he was saying. And so we see that there was a great oppression among the Jewish people. They, they had probably been oppressed for like 400 years. Remember, there was, there was the Babylonians, there was the Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, there were the, the Greeks, and then there were the Romans, and like constantly under threat, right? And so here we find Caesar Augustus at the time of Jesus, who was considered to be a god, by the way, and so empire, emperor worship was a thing. And, and the Christians of the time were thought to be atheists because they weren't serving the emperor. And so... He was considered to be a god. He was considered to be the bright morning star. The good news of whom was when he rode into the city. That was the good news. That was the, yeah, that, that was the original use of that word, good news, that we now apply to Jesus Christ. And so, and so all, that, all that mattered in that context was the maintenance of Pax Romana, or the peace so that this, this kingdom could 
continue to grow and grow and grow. And so we see that the Roman Empire flourishes at the expense of the Jewish people who are like hard-pressed and, and cowering and afraid. And so almost you can forgive the Pharisees. You can almost forgive the Pharisees. Grace, I'm going to ask you to read now. Um, they, you, you can almost for, forgive the Pharisees for, for doing what they did. For, for trying to protect the, the religion and, and, you know. So, Mark chapter 11, you can find it there. And so, so when we come to the Word of God, and, and maybe you're wondering, now what does this all have to do with wells and fences? Well, we're going to see in the Word of God in Mark chapter 11, um, as Grace reads for us. On reaching Jerusalem... Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Thank you, Grace. So, so what we see here is a, is a clash of two, can we call it two different ways of thought, but it's, but it's not that, it's more than that. There's, the Pharisees are trying to protect they're building fences, right? They're trying to keep their, their, their Jewish religion safe from this onslaught of the Roman Empire. So you can almost kind of think, wow, that's quite a noble thing. But in the meantime, what they're doing is they're putting in, in place so many man-made rules and regulations that guess what? When, when the object of their faith appears on the scene, they don't recognize him. How far have they drifted? So remember that portion of scripture when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and the people, the crowds come and they lay their cloaks in the path for him to ride over and they sing, and I have it here, they sing um, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King. They, they sing praise God for the son of David, blessing on the, on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in uproar. But then there's this question. It's like the, everyone else seems to know who this is. But then there's this question that says, who is this? And if you look in Luke and, and in the other Gospels, we see that the Pharisees ask, um, they, the, the, the leaders are the ones asking, who is this? And they, they tell Jesus, tell the people to be quiet, rebuke them for saying such blasphemy. And Jesus says, listen, if I tell the people to be quiet, the very stones on the side of this path is going to break forth in praise because here is the king of kings. And so I think it's very sad that in this context, when Jesus himself comes proclaiming, he comes proclaiming the, the kingdom of God, um, that the 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 religious leaders of the day don't recognize him. So, oops. So, so when Jesus stands up in the synagogue, right, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 to 20, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, that at the that the, at the time of and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. When we look at the ministry of Jesus in his context, we see a very practical ministry. Not something that's only in the synagogue, not something that's only in the philosophical realm, but we see Jesus moving around the people. We see the, um, the blind see, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, the good news are being preached to the poor. And then we see Jesus in the temple when, when he comes face to face with this man-made religion of the Pharisees, what we see is that he overturns these, these tables of the money changers. This oppressive system, Jesus comes and he clashes with it. And so I wonder what would happen if Jesus came to our churches today. Interesting thought, don't you think? Are we, are we of those who just kind of come on a Sunday and tick the box? Well, that's done. Okay, now I can go to my Monday to Friday with a clear conscience and I can just go about my business. And I want to call us to, and to say that definitely not. We are not of those people. Who, who is Wellspring? We, we are not of those. And so... Jesus overturns. What does he overturn? He, he overturns this pretentious, distorted caricature of the one true faith and exposes it for what it really is, a den of robbers. He, he pulls no punches. And so, and so when we look at the context of, of that scripture, when he says, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations, Jesus is modeling for us radical inclusivity. What does that mean? No one is left on the outside of the, of the walls of the church. Everyone is welcome. When you go to Isaiah chapter 56 verse 7 and you read the original context of that verse, he's speaking to foreigners, he's speaking to eunuchs. Wow, what does that say? What is that saying to us, church? The Bible describes a new humanity that Christ is calling out from every tribe and every nation, a community, a family who loves and cares. As Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God, he was building wells. In fact, he is the source of, of life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and he who drinks will never thirst, he says to the woman at the well. There's a quotation by a Franciscan, uh, Franciscan priest called Richard Roy. He says, the way of Jesus is an invitation to a Trinitarian way of living, loving, and relating on earth as it is in the Godhead, in the Trinity. And so what we see in this portion of scripture that Grace read for us, we see the Pharisees building fences. And Jesus is calling the people to life. And so there's this major clash. And so my question to us this morning, and I hope we're going to have time to talk about it. Are we building fences in our lives, in our families, in our communities, in our church as well? Spring? Are we building fences or are we digging wells? What does wells look like? I would love to think that, I would love to think that in the years that, that come when Shannon and Ashley grow up, and they are young adults that they, that they have a vibrant faith that holds them close, that they start to own their, their relationship with God. And I mean, that's my, that's my fervent prayer.
And so what does this mean for us? You know, I was reflecting this week, and I'm going to close with these reflections. As maybe I call on uh, Shannon and Lloyd to come and sort out that song. Um, <laughs> so I've been reflecting on what does it mean to live a life based on the model of the Trinity, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and I came up with these thoughts. We mustn't get this wrong, right? The church is not, is not, is not the water. The, the, the church is not the source of life. Jesus Christ is the source of life. And so, and so the way that we orient around the source of life, that's the church. The way that we organize ourselves around, this is how we're defining wellspring around the person of Jesus Christ, around the life that the gospel preaches to us. And so when we come, as we gather around the person of Jesus Christ, the author of our salvation and the provision of the Father and the empowerment and the guidance of, and the power of the Holy Spirit, we find life in the Godhead, the source of abundant life. When we gather around this life-giving source, we find ourselves shoulder to shoulder with people who are thirsting for life. If we look at each other, we sang a song that has brought us through the deep times. Every single one of us can attest and testify to difficult times that God has brought us through. And maybe you're sitting here and you're going through a difficult time right now. And I want to say to you that you are close to the source of life because this is who we are celebrating here. This is who we are calling on here. And so as we do that, um, the Word of God says to us that we are no better. Look, look, just look at the person next to you. I'm not one of those people to say, say something to the people next to you. <laughs> but just look at the people next to you, who's sitting next to you. You are no better. We are no better or worse than the people sitting on either side of us, in front of us, or at the back of us. We are made in the image of God. He has called us out as sinners and we are saved by grace. And if you are sitting here and you have not yet made that decision, there's always an invitation, as the, as the worship song just sang to us. The Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit models perfect communion, perfect community, relationship, authentic relationship, which is culture-defying. If we look in culture, we want to separate. We want to separate according to class, according to ethnicity, according to race. And Christ comes and He overturns those tables, people. He overturns those tables and He calls us to do the same. There's radical inclusivity, there's radical equality and perfect love. And this perfect love spills over in an expression of community. And now my call to us as Wellspring, let us be true to our name. We are not a cowering, fearful group of people who are trying to keep others out. You know, I used to, in my early days of serving the Lord, I was so afraid at university. When I, when I went to university, I was so afraid that, that others would, would kind of spoil my, my faith. I didn't go to tea time. I didn't go to any socials. When they invited me for a bride, I didn't go. Like, judge me now. Judge me. That's fine. But, but I didn't go. You know why? Sorry? Definitely not, Steve. How do you know me? That, that was not from the Lord, right? So, so the thing is, guys, 
I'm glad you find that funny because we should not be doing that anymore, people. Like, if you're invited to a bride, please go. <laughs> please go and represent the one who gives you life. Go into spaces and be the one who points to, and, not, and don't take your Bible with you. Okay, leave your Bible. Hide it here, hide it here, yes. So, so guys, we grow and we learn and we live. And God calls us to that. We are not a cowering, fearful people who wants to put up fences on every corner. No, we are the people who are called Wellspring. And we live life out of the abundance that Jesus Christ gives us. And so as people come close to us, they sense His life here. And we don't do that because we want to grow a big church, because we're not building. The church is not the well, remember. The church is not the, the source of life. We are the well. We orient ourselves around the source of life. And we orient ourselves in radical inclusivity, radical invitation. I want to play you a song. And this song is going to betray my, my age, but that's fine, because I, I like the, the message behind it. And then I'm going to give over to Steve. It's just two minutes. Yeah. 
thanks Brandon for that. This is a great opportunity for, for us to look at sort of um, wells and, and um, and fences. And um, as we're having a time of uh, in worship, I was just thinking, what is it with um, wells and fences? What what do we know about it? And uh, so the analogy is given in terms of, of the analogy is given in terms of Australia. I was just thinking that scripture that I read with you last week, when um, John chapter seven, where Jesus he gives that invitation, all who are thirsty come and drink. And I was thinking in, in terms of our, our worship this morning and. Um, some commentators say what happened was Jesus took a, a, a he took some water and as he was giving that invitation to people to say um, come and drink or giving that invitation he actually took that water and he and he and he poured it out and as he was as he was pouring out the water what was quite interesting is like then he said all who are thirsty come and drink. And when we're having this time of worship, what I thought was, um, you know, what is it with wells and, and fences? And I thought to myself, when we build fences, and it talks about a religion, it talks about things that we, we learned early on in our lives, or whatever church you went to, whatever tradition you were part of, it's something that's ingrained in us, isn't it? And when I had that picture of Jesus turning the water over like this, I thought that sometimes I go, Jesus, why are you turning over the water? People are thirsty. And that's the thing of, of building, of building um, fences. It's that, that sense in our minds that we can't get away from, Jesus, you're turning over water and we forget. Actually, he is the water of life. That's the sense that I got this morning in terms of worship. And uh, in terms of Brandon just sharing with us, it's like turning over the tables. It's got to be that sense for us as Christ followers. As, as we look to the well, as we look to Jesus, there's going to be some things that, that the Holy Spirit will share with you about that water that is turning over. Like the Jesus is saying, come and drink. And you go, no, Jesus, you're turning over the water and we're all thirsty. Because we look at the water, we don't look at Jesus. Look at the things in our lives that like perhaps church history or things that have happened in our lives and, and we look to the church. Sometimes we, the only time we pray is when the person up front is praying. Those sort of things that we need to look at. And it's not a, a bashing session. It's not like, oh, they like that and we like this and we, we build, we build, um, we build uh, uh, wells. We don't build fences. That's not what it's about. It's just saying, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to come to that place where we come to the well and we drink. So what I'd like us to do is turn in. We had such a great time yesterday. Um, not yesterday, last week, Sunday. Turn in a group of people and just chat about what is one of the things you feel has become quite a religion thing for you within the church. And you could say it's a church. But it's not a thing of saying that's wrong or right. It's just saying... Actually, after this, after this, the sermon this morning, and just allowing the Holy Spirit just to just to touch our lives and and be a little bit honest and say, you know what, I find sometimes the bullfences in this area in the life of the church. Is that all right?
let's just turn to people and just share. And as I say, it's not a, a bashing session. It's not a, this is just something you have observed. So one example, I'll give you an example. For me, a religious thing in life of the church is, where's our building? <laughs> How can you have church under the trees? I'm looking at the water being poured out and not what Jesus is trying to share with us. Okay. Hello, everybody. We were saying um, one of the things is obviously the building, and it's interesting because on, on Wednesday at home, we were talking about that, and um, the Lord really during COVID for us as Wellspring has really taught us that we are the church, like we don't need a building. Um, and then the other thing that we were talking about is the sense of belonging. What does it mean to belong? And um, when the, you know, when the outsiders and, and people that are not Christ followers look in, they think that we've already defined what it means to belong and that inhibits them from coming. So we need to like break through that barrier by saying anybody can belong. You, Anybody who's thirsty gets to come and drink and I think that's one of the things that we're trying to change our mindsets around. Something that Nikki said is we even define who we think should come and drink. So we got to maybe change our thinking around that. That's very good, sure. <laughs> <Man> with that. <laughs> okay, um, just anybody feel free to step in if I forget something. Um, yeah, I think we, we spoke about um, issues that can come into the church and divide and, and how that like the, the whole women in, in, in eldership issue that, that has the potential to be divisive and how and that it, it, it one can so easily start making that a new fence that putting laying down a new fence and that we need to that we are challenged by things like that all the time and we need to be aware of of that um, uh, we, we we shared various instances of, of where things come in the way of of unity in the church um, and and acknowledging that that Christ, as the head of the church, wants unity, but he doesn't expect uniformity of, of all of us. So we need to allow for the differences, but yet, in a loving way, accommodate them all in, in some form of, of unity. So, and, um, so looking at other um, churches, like the Catholic Church, and having and being judgmental about that, and, 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 and acknowledging that other denominations look at us and they feel that they're right who are we to see ourselves as better than, than them good it wasn't supposed to be me but anyway I think we just said that because our situation is so new and because we're under this canopy of grace that I don't know whether we have any preconceived ideas or necessarily have fences right now. I mean, perhaps they are subliminal, uh, but the fact that uh, we need to get to know each other more and the fact that if we're not building fences and we're actually digging wells, we need to let the people in our communities know who are on our doorstep that there's water available. So we could probably end up very quickly becoming a holy huddle and, but I don't think we are that. I think we're aware of the fact that this is a, a very kind of different church 
we have a, a head pastor who holds down a day job. Uh, there are a lot of people who are involved, there's teamwork, and I think w within reason we're almost in a perfect space to be able to keep it going like that without becoming a building and a sound desk and perfect lighting and air conditioning. This is great air conditioning. <laughs> Linda, are you... Yeah, and, and the, the, you said, I'm, I'm not going to say it properly. Can you say it? forgot the key. There you go. So we were just uh, expanding on, on uh, Brandon's point about radical uh, inclusivity um, in that, um, and one of the points that we, we mentioned was that uh, one of the fences we could possibly as humans being, human beings being inclined to is being hanging out just with the same group, being clicky, you know, forming that kind of, so we be careful of that. And then uh, the other point was that um, the, the well being a source of life, as Brandon expanded, that our homes be that source. And um, Jeremy was saying that their house often is filled with people um, and, and one of the... <laughs> with other people, not, not the family, uh, fam family members. And so one of the points that came out of that was that the gospel comes with a house key. A house often has to become that source. Um, and with Jesus being the, 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 the life-giving source, but our, our, our homes should be up. And uh, so the gospel comes with a cost. Thank you. Very good. Wow. Half of my, oh, our grief has disappeared. So, <laughs> okay. Um, uh, what stands out is that I think as humans, we often give in to our frailties and our weaknesses. So we like to pick out faults of others and we, we become afraid. So when we start with our big group, then suddenly we're like, oh, you don't look like me. So then our fence goes up down the middle of the group and then you don't talk like me. So then we put up another fence and uh, you don't do life like I do life. So you put up an another fence and very soon we find ourselves to be isolated and doing life alone. Um, and then... Um, uh, I, I didn't catch your name, sorry, a, a new lady um, to our church said also that sometimes we need to just be reminded that it's about God is the one who sustains us and, um, yeah, just to, to refresh our, our, our minds that it's going back to Him and that He's the one who loves us and He asked us to love first. That's That's the most important thing. So it's loving other people, not picking out their faults. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think that the, the one point that was mentioned, and I think, uh, you know, Brandon spoke about the whole idea that Jesus' ministry was very practical, right? And it was mentioned, yeah, that just this, very practically speaking to each other, is breaking down fences. Um, and, you know, in, in traditional churches, this doesn't happen. And we've got to figure out a way of how do we make this happen on a Sunday. Because once a church obviously grows, you know, you then get back into that very fenced reality. You've got to have rows and, you've, you know, no one can talk to each other. So we've got to, we've got to get that practical start. How do we do with this? Because this is actually what breaks those fences. Um, the, other, the other thing was, you know, where there are no fences, there's freedom, right? Um, so freedom to be who you are without the the fear of judgment and how do we achieve that how do we actually because it's one thing to take it from a conceptual thing but into actual you know daily 
uh, life, whether it be through your week or whether it be the institution that is the church. And I think that's the last thing is we've got to recognize that there's history behind where we are today. Um, and history goes back thousands of years. And uh, the church has defined much of what we believe. The institution has defined much of what we believe. And, 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 and the, the people who hold the power to interpret are often the leaders of the church. So they're the ones who have said, well, this is what the Bible says about this person or this lifestyle or this choice. And that gets handed down, and we hold on to it very, very tightly because we believe that it is so. And I think part of this whole idea of breaking down the fences is not holding things as tightly as we always have. And, and, and actually, everything is open for discussion. And everything, you know, no matter what the power of church history might say, is the way in which we see people or we understand a situation. And say, no, actually, we hold that loosely. The only thing we hold tightly is that Jesus is the water. That's the only thing, that he is the Son of God. That's what we hold tightly. All else is open. Um, well, uh, we were just discussing that like, growing up in, Christian's home, in, Christian, in a Christian home, sometimes we can get into that culture of, you know, we go to church because that's what we do. We come on a Sunday, we go and tell brick building we sit on our like our nice chairs and we listen to the pastor preach and then we worship and we don't actually remember why we're going there so we were just discussing that like this church is breaking fences because it's it's abnormal to you know sit out in the open here in our camping chairs and have like discussions like this and it just returns us to why are we really here what does jesus really mean to us um, and then also another point that we were discussing is making sure that this doesn't become exclusive. Also, what my mom building on what my mom was saying that we are still bringing people to us who have different views. That we're still chatting to them. That even if they're different to us, we're not not talking to them. We're still including them because it's important that this doesn't become like a little exclusive group where only people of the same views can come and join. <laughs> Thank you. Hello? Oh, <laughs> um, we were talking about inclusivity, which I really took from Brandon, and coming from England, what I like about this church so much is you've got a mixed age range. And what I was saying about the church I go to in England, which is a vineyard church, and I love it, but it's all for very young families with small children and students. And then there's me. <laughs> and we were saying that actually older people have life experience, we have wisdom, we've been through the mill, we've, we've had so many things thrown at us, and we could mentor uh, younger people. But I was asking, how can we bring older people into our church? Like we have, I'm not being rude here, but there are some. How do we, how do we bring older people into our church? And I don't know, because England is very secular these days. The traditional churches are just as Brandon said, they're leaving in droves. The Vineyard Church is great. The young are coming. We've got two universities and lots of students. It's fantastic. But, you know, inclusivity. And then you were saying about time. I'm going to let you do that. <laughs> Thank you, Mish. I was just saying, um, you know, if we could all just give a little bit more time, a bit more of our time. That's one thing I actually mentioned. We can all earn more money, we all work hard, 
we all get a salary, hopefully, the majority of us. But time you can never bring back. And I just feel that a lot of people aren't willing to give that time. And once it's gone, it's gone. And it's unfortunate that, you know, even if you waste one hour, for example, we made an appointment the other day. And the doctor who we made the appointment with, the chiropractor, he didn't pitch. And we sat there over an hour. And he didn't even ring. He didn't cancel. He didn't explain why. And we'd waste, we, we realized that is our life ticking away. And that time we could have actually done something with it, something more positive, whether it's to help people or, or give more or or whatever it may be, but we've just felt that time is a very important thing and should be a priority. <laughs> um, so one of the things we mentioned was that sometimes our churches are very conformed to formalities and we need to be more open to the leading of the Spirit and just allow things for God to move in His own way. Um, and also just us speaking again about time but us being restricted you know we allow ourselves so much time to do church and then we've got to move out of church and go and do all the rest of our life because our Sundays are so busy and how often do we surrender to what God wants to do in our lives on a Sunday and not only on a Sunday but carry that into the rest of the week so that being so restricted by time we we need to open ourselves up to the leading of the spirit and just allow God to move and it doesn't matter how long it takes, you know, if he's got a work to do, he's going to do a mighty work if we allow him to do that. I didn't prep her, but I'm preaching next week, so we're going to have a nice time together. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, that was really good. Thanks so much for just the, the input. And I, I like that thing of like just having an opportunity to share with each other. Um, you know, that's one way of breaking down fences. It's really cool.